Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome once again to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and sitting next to me is my companion. Companion. Tom Dorian. Tom? That scares me. Do you know where the word companion comes from? I don't. The dictionary? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're right in a way. Okay. But we look at the derivation of words. Okay. That's always so interesting to yes. do. And you look at the word companion, and the, the com part of that word, C-O-M, means with. Okay. And pan, bread. Some- Oh, that's right. And so your bread. That's right. So your companion is someone whom you break bread with. Very good. So a lot of people don't realize that when they're talking about their companion, they're really speaking eucharistically and that's as a catholic that's an important concept and that's what we're going to talk about today. That's- and so we are going to we've invited a wonderful return guest here. We're taking it up a notch, aren't we? Absolutely. We're raising the bar significantly, and we have above-average Catholic Bill Drennan with us today. What a great day. Back again. We can't get enough of (laughs) above-average Catholic Bill. You both are looking wonderful today. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. I feel wonderful. Welcome to the Mutual Admiration Society. (laughs) And so the show is going to be about the Eucharist, but we're going to talk about a specific element, a, a specific concept or idea regarding the Eucharist. And really, it's going to sort of focus on coincidences Mm. in sacred scripture. What's the definition of a coincidence, Tom? God's way of remaining anonymous. That's exactly right. I love that. And that's a a cool way to look at this. It really is. So, above average, Bill. Yes. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. I'm not throwing you under the bus this time, I promise. (laughs) Yeah, I don't believe that. We'll see. What we are going to focus on, though, is this very interesting parallel that happens in scripture. And I want to read several scriptures. So you have to bear with me on this, but we'll read the first one. And then I want you guys to kind of pick what you hear as a similarity in each one of these scriptures. The first comes in the feeding of the 5,000. And this is in the gospel of Matthew chapter 14. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is the lonely place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. Then the same thing happens in the feeding of the 4,000. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, we read, And he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. Are you all hearing anything that's uh, that's happening yes. parallel? Yeah? Oh, yeah. You know, we're not done there. So let's look again here at uh, Matthew, chapter 26, starting at verse 26. This is the account of the Last Supper from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Same thing happens in Mark in the Last Supper account in chapter 14. And as they were eating, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. 
uh, in Luke chapter 22, the Last Supper again. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. And so we see constantly this idea that Jesus took the bread or took the gifts, right? He blessed, he gave thanks, gave praise to God for the gift of that bread. And then he broke the bread. And of course, that last element gave, he distributed and gave it to the disciples. Now, this doesn't only happen, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at the, uh, the Last Supper. After Jesus is resurrected, he meets two travelers on the road to Emmaus and that famous story where he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread, mm-hmm. uh, which is the wonderful last line in uh, verse 35 of chapter 24. But way back at verse 30 of chapter 24 in Luke, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So again, we hear that same formula. Mm-hmm. And then when St. Paul is recounting, years later, he's recounting what happened at the Last Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. So again, we see that formula. That was from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The interesting thing, where above average Catholic, where do we hear this now? Do we read this in Scripture and that's the extent of our uh, recollection of these verses? Uh, No, it's the focal point of the Mass. Well, that's exactly right, the focal point of the Mass. Where in the Mass does this happen? Uh, During the consecration. That's right. And so what happens is, you know, the Mass, of course, is, is divided into two primary major parts. Which are, Tom? Eucharistic. Yeah, that's the, that's the second one. Okay. And then the first one would be, well, the Liturgy of the Word. Right. So it starts with the Liturgy of the Word. And that's where we read the scriptures. We have something from the Psalms. We have uh, a homily or uh, call it a sermon, reflection on those scriptures, bringing them sort of into our lives. And that's supposed to bridge us to the second part of the Mass, which is the Liturgy of the Eucharist. We focus on the Eucharist. In the second half of the Mass, everything leads to that point. And when they have the Eucharistic prayer, those same words are said again. He took bread, gave thanks, broke broke the the bread, bread. and gave it to his disciples. And we can actually read from the actual Eucharistic prayer. This is Eucharistic prayer number three, or an excerpt from it. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and gave you thanks and praise. He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. So he takes that bread, right? Mm -hmm. And he transforms that bread into his body and blood. And we represent this same sacrifice, this offering of Jesus, every time that we do a Mass. We don't re-sacrifice Jesus. We relive that same sacrifice. We re-experience, we represent that same sacrifice in an unbloody fashion. And that's what we do at Mass every time. And it's just so interesting to see that when you take the scriptures that we've read with basically the same exact formula, that's 2,000 years old. And our Mass is also 2,000 years old. And a lot of people don't realize that. Even Catholics don't realize that when you look at what we do in the Eucharistic prayer, you are really reliving that initial Last Supper, but which was prefigured by the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. This is a fantastic... When I heard this the first time, the light bulb went off in my head and said, you know what? Mass is important. That's why it's important for a Catholic 
to attend Mass every Sunday. That's why the church says this is, a, this is nourishment. It's both spiritual and bodily nourishment for you, and, and you receive this, and it's good to receive this. Yeah, That's what Jesus intended. Yeah, it's scriptural. That's exactly right, and it comes right out of the heart of Scripture. It's amazing that it's said that many times. So Jesus must have had a, you know, a real purpose there to help us understand. And a lot of times you look at things like this, and, and maybe a Catholic mm-hmm. might be accused of you're pulling one Scripture out of many, and you're focusing on that Scripture. What we're trying to show here today is that Eucharistic prayer is based on multiple scriptures saying the same thing. And you said, you know, Jesus must have intended. Absolutely. Yep. That's what we as Catholics teach is that Jesus not only must have intended, but he did intend. It's not a coincidence that he said the same words and he did the same actions and that those who wrote down what Jesus did, wrote down his words and his actions, wrote the same thing. And St. Paul recalled the same thing so that we understand this is an important thing. Right. Do this in remembrance of me. It, and it, it must have had a big impact on the apostles and the early Christians just because he, you know, because they wrote it down and because that has become the Eucharistic prayer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think so. And you know what's so interesting about this is the, just the concept, just the idea that this would be held on to for 2,000 years, mm-hmm, right. the same words, the same formula is is beyond comprehension for me. That tells me how important it is. These early church members, starting with the apostles, clung on to these words. They didn't want to change them. They, didn't want, they were writing liturgies early in the church, and they said, this is how it needs to be done because this is how the Lord did it for us. And so we need to do it the same way. And they were very, very protective of that liturgy all through. And so we still use some of those same exact elements today. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Catholics and non-Catholics, that's not a, uh, not, obvious is not, maybe not the right word, but why are they not in tune to that? Uh, or, or they go a step further and just look at it and say, well, so what? Big deal. They say it over and over again. They say a bunch of things over and over again. Well, I think that we would look at the things that are said over and over again, and we would assume that those are of of importance. Yeah. And the problem is, I think today, I think we have so many other items of input into our heads. We live in a world that's uh, plaguing us with other thoughts and taking our attention. And so what happens is, in a diverse culture, in a diverse world, it's very easy then to sort of say, well, let's kind of water things down so that we can all get to a basic concept that we can all agree upon and frequently what ends up happening is that particular concept ends up being a watered down version so you sort of take away some of the intrinsic meaning uh, and some of the original purpose of something if you start stripping away i mean that's essentially what happened with the catholic church if you start to pull away those things that are decidedly catholic you no longer have a catholic church we have a church the catholic church that is rich in heritage rich in tradition and if we deny those traditions, if we say we don't need those traditions, we've essentially started to water down our faith, mm-hmm. and we become weaker for it. So I don't know the exact answer why people don't notice it, but maybe that's what we're doing here today right. is allowing people to uh, to take note of the importance that comes to us through the scriptures, but also through sacred tradition and through our Mass, and understand that every time that when that Eucharistic prayer is being said at Mass— that these same holy words, that this same concept is being 
carried on. Now, that's all very exciting, I'm sure. Wonderful. So we're going to uh, we're going to take a break. I know some people want to hear some more about this. We have a little more to say about the Eucharist uh, and our Mass, uh, and we'll do that after this, uh, this short break. But first, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website. Tom, tell us about that website. It is thecatholiccafe.com. Thecatholiccafe.com is a wonderful resource. It's got lots of links to the World Wide Web for other Catholic resources. But not only that, you can download this show and any other show that we've uh, recorded. They're all there for you to listen to. Um, and also, I'd love for you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So we will continue this breaking of the bread when we return right after this. I'm Bess And this is another great moment in church history. Though St. Anthony of Padua was born in Portugal in the early 13th century, he did most of his work in Italy. He was a Franciscan monk who was well known for his ability to teach the Catholic faith in a way that even the simplest of minds could comprehend. And he was so steadfast in his zeal for protecting the church against heresy that he soon became known as the Hammer of Heretics. St. Anthony was especially effective in converting heretics through the wondrous miracle of the Eucharist. One such conversion story is told about a particularly stubborn and hardened heretic named Bonanillo. Bonanillo was well known in town for his heretical beliefs, and he was not to be convinced with the direct and forceful words of St. Anthony, the hammer of heretics. So St. Anthony had to find other means to convey the truth of the Catholic faith to Bonanillo. One day, when Bonanillo came to town with his mule, St. Anthony made a proposition. He wondered if Bonanillo might recant his heresy and believe in the church's teachings if St. Anthony could get even his mule to bow down in adoration of the real presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. Bonanillo agreed, but being untrusting by nature, he laid down some stipulations. Bonanillo said that the mule must not be fed for two days and should be led into the town square on the third day. On one side of the path was to be placed a tempting pile of fresh feed, and on the other side, St. Anthony would stand with his so-called body of Christ. St. Anthony agreed. For the next two days, the mule was not fed. St. Anthony spent the entire two days in fervent prayer, asking that God might soften Bonanillo's heart and allow him to see the truth of the church. On the third day, the town square was crowded, Bonanillo entered the town square with his now hungry mule. He was certain that the mule would go for the feed. Instead, much to the shock of Bonanillo and all the townspeople, the mule pulled toward St. Anthony and the Blessed Sacrament. Then the mule knelt down in adoration. Seeing this, Bonanillo's eyes filled with tears. His heart melted as he too bowed down in adoration. He gave up his heresy then and there and came home to the one true church. It was a true Eucharistic miracle. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff. Tom's sitting here, and we still have above-average Catholic Bill. 
He's our companion for Bill the day. Drennan. Companion. He is our companion. That was a we're wonderful with him. segue. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, we're still talking about the <laughs> Eucharist, uh, and we're kind of talking about coincidences, which are not truly coincidences, but they're intended by Christ right? and by the sacred writers of the scriptures. Now, we just finished talking about this concept of taking bread, blessing bread, breaking bread, and giving bread to the disciples and how that sort of matches with what we do in our Mass and have always done in our Mass and the purpose behind that. I want to mention how that's done in the Mass. Now, we just say the words, obviously, in the Eucharistic prayer. But also, the entire liturgy of the Eucharist, that fourfold action, takes place in the liturgy of the Eucharist. He took bread. That's where it starts. And in our liturgy of the Eucharist, we have the presentation of the gifts. Someone from the parish comes forth. Tom, have you ever done that? I have, many times. That's right. Comes forward. So is above average bit I've seen. That's right. That's right. With the bread and the wine. And then he blessed it. So where do we see that? He blessed the bread. Where does that happen? It happens during the consecration. That's right. The Eucharistic prayer. He's now giving thanks. He's now saying the prayer of blessing. Right. So like when Jesus took the loaves and he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks to the Father. That's what we're doing when we bring those gifts forward. So that's the taking of the bread. And then we give thanks to the Father. That's what the Eucharistic prayer is all about, giving thanks for these uh, for these gifts. And the, uh, the transubstantiation that we've talked about in another show before, that actually takes place during that Eucharistic prayer when the words of institution or the consecration takes place right. in the Eucharistic prayer. And so then... Next in that uh, fourfold action, the third action that we read about in all the other scriptures is he broke the bread. And so when does that happen? Same time. It happens during the um, Eucharistic. It actually happens after the Eucharistic prayer, but after the blessing. He says it during the prayer, but the physical breaking doesn't take place until. That's right. After the Eucharistic right. prayer. When he says it in the Eucharistic prayer, he's actually just recounting that night. And that's when he's saying those words of institution. Right. right? right. And then afterwards, after the Eucharistic prayer, after the blessing, we have a thing called the fractioning rite. And that's where, you know, that large host, which is now the body of Christ, is then broken up carefully and gently into the pieces for the purpose of distribution. Right. And, of course, the fourth part of that action, gave it to the disciples, takes place at what time in our Mass? During communion. Communion. That's where we are the disciples and we all come forward to receive. So, again, the whole structure of our liturgy of the Eucharist is built on these four actions. Mm -hmm. Taking bread, blessing bread, breaking bread, and giving it to the disciples. That's what we do every time we have Mass. Right. Now, a lot of people might miss that connection. And that's why we wanted to focus this show on that specifically. Now, there's also some other interesting coincidences Tom, there's one that you particularly like. I love my, well, two, Bethlehem and also manger. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize what the word Bethlehem means. Above average Catholic probably knows that. I don't, (laughs) but I'm going to guess and say something with bread. (laughs) That's right. That's a good guess. Thank you. Bethlehem means house of bread. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was born in the house of bread. And someone might look at that and go, well, that's just a coincidence, or that's one little detail. But as we've said many times on this particular show, if you look at all of those different little details and you put them together, 
you're painting a picture. Each brush stroke paints a picture. When you step back, you go, uh-oh, that's a picture of the Catholic Church. Right. But the other thing that, Tom, you another one you like, manger. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, tell us in your own words he, there, Tom, what does that mean? Well, he was placed in, he was born in a manger. That's right. Which is a feeding trough. That's right. For cattle or other livestock. That's right. And here is Jesus being placed in that. That's exactly right. Very another, symbolic. Another little detail. You know, when we put up our nativity scenes every year and we put Jesus in that little manger, a lot of people think the word manger really means that whole scene. Right. right. That's, that nativity scene is not the manger. That little uh, hut that they're in is not the manger. The manger is actually the feeding trough. And so a lot of people don't realize that Jesus was born to be eaten. He was placed in a feeding trough. And we're the wild beasts that Jesus came to feed. You okay, know, I got to ask this question. When you, I got to ask this question. I'm sorry to interrupt. When you drifted away from the church yeah. and you began to come back and learn some of these coincidences that we're talking about, big light bulbs going off for you, I'm sure. Yeah. You're thinking, man, I got to get back in this and start receiving the Eucharist. I'll say it this way. I never would have left the Catholic Church if I knew all these details. And this is the stuff that's important for people to really pick up on. Because right. if they don't pick up on this stuff... They're missing the point. They're the missing point. the whole point. Exactly right. right. Now, there's some other cool stuff. In the feeding of the 4,000, trying how many baskets of fragments of loaves were left over? Does anybody remember? Twelve. Twelve. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> You're both wrong. But In we're the both? feeding of the 4,000, there were seven baskets left over. We were set up on that one. Yeah, yeah we were. Because in the feeding of the 5,000, it's mentioned in, in John, there were 12 baskets left over. And let's look at the significance of that. Do they really know the exact number that were left over? I don't know. But you know how the Bible uses numbers sometimes yeah. to tell a story. Yeah. Well, what is the number seven? That's the biblical number of perfection, completeness, fullness. So if there's seven baskets left over, that means there's enough for the whole world. It completely satisfies the needs of the world. And the seven comes from the God created the world in six days and the seventh day. Well, that's seven. Well, it's, it's, it's a seven. It was a seven-day process right. resting on the seventh. But the point is that, again, shows completion. That's and the start of the seven. The number seven is used a lot. How yeah. many times should I forgive Seven or seventy times seven. Right. That's the we're talking about completeness or fullness, and so those seven baskets represent a full and complete remedy for the world. And in the same way, the twelve baskets in the feeding of the five thousand, there were twelve tribes of Israel. There were twelve apostles, and these twelve apostles now are the priests that will go out and feed the world. And what will they do it with? These twelve baskets of then fragments of bread that were left over foreshadowing the Eucharist. And so, again, from a Catholic perspective, we look at that and go, wow, somebody's trying to tell us something here. (laughs) More Um, than a coincidence. That's right, way more than a coincidence. Now I want to end on one final coincidence, and that's this concept of Jesus being the Lamb of God. You know, when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he exclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God. He called him the Lamb of God. And, of course, in our Mass... When the priest elevates the host after it's been consecrated, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Happy are those who are called to his supper. In other words, we're going to consume, we're going to eat Jesus. And we see the real significance of this as in the Passover lamb from way back in the Old Testament, the unblemished lamb, 
the lamb with its legs not broken? Well, that's Jesus. And, of course, you had to consume the Passover lamb. Right. Right. Wonderful. All of these things come together uh, to tell us a great story. When you look at all these details, you can't look at these anymore as coincidences. Once you know all this stuff and you add it together, it's it's now suddenly uh, two. Uh, it's an elephant in a room, and you cannot ignore this elephant <laughs> in the room, uh, as it were. So does that help, I think, understand a little good more stuff. about the Eucharist? Absolutely. Good stuff. What was your favorite thing, Bill? Above average, Bill? Above average? Um, I, I just like the fact that it's said so many times through the New Testament, the, the four-step process. And, you know, how really if you step back and take a look at it, it's very clear. You know, it's, it's real clear what Jesus was intending to do there. And the other thing I, that occurs to me is your earlier show about the um, Reformation. You didn't go into much detail there about, you know, how they let that go. And why they let that go? That that might be an interesting. Uh, well, that would more, be a whole show upon itself. That. But really, essentially, where I was getting, where we were getting, and where really what really happened, I think, is that once you start to peel away those things that make us distinctively Catholic, then you end up having not a Catholic church anymore. You can walk into a church and know whether or not it's Catholic. That's, and that's an important thing. That's an important uh, distinction. And we as Catholics need to understand what we teach and why we teach. And those who aren't Catholic, we invite you to come and learn more about. And that's what this whole show is about, to say this is what the Catholic Church teaches. And hopefully when people see that and they hear that, then they can start to get a, a sense for what the Catholic Church is and what, what she intends as she puts forth all of the uh, teachings that she does. Now, I hope this has been helpful, Tom. We have to rate this show. We have to look at the show and rate it. How would you rate this show? You know, if I, I the scale, I, I think on a scale of zero to eight, I'd have to give it an eight, a solid eight. Eight stars. Eight stars. Wow. Perfect score. Perfect score. I think, uh, so above average, Bill is the first person to ever get eight stars. He's the first one to get eight stars. Congratulations. Are you sure you counted right? Is that number right? I think that's right. Okay. I know he's, that's right. He's missing two fingers. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I think the scale should be up to ten. Mr. Wonderful. Uh, no, he, he runs okay, a scale. Okay, we'll make it a nine. We'll make it a nine. How about that? All right, nine stars. There you go. Very good. You're the first one to receive nine stars above yeah. Edge Catholic. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being here with us, Above Average Catholic Bill. We really appreciate your time, and we hope that you'll join us again. I, w- I will. Absolutely wonderful. And we thank Helen also for a wonderful service, keeping Thanks, that coffee Helen. filled up. Probably need to give it a ten. We can't keep making a scale move, can we? We can. We can do whatever we want. Tom runs the scale. All right. Well, with all that said, we're going to go ahead and close this out in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are the source of all life. Feed us with your word and feed us with your body and blood given for the whole world that we may come to live with you forever in heaven. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee.
Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.